0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pricing coverage match limited by state law.
1: WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature.
2: WNYC Studios Before we
1: start, just want to let you know there's a moment or two of strong language in the story. Oh uh, wait, you're listening Okay.
3: All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab from <laughs> WNYC. C- 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 yeah.
4: C- <laughs> Hello. Hi, Laura. Yes. Hey, it's Molly. How are you? I figured. I'm good. I'm
5: good. How are you?
1: <laughs> hey, Hello. I'm Jad Abumrad. This is Radio Lab. We've not done a coronavirus dispatch since the summer, I think. So we're going to do one this week. Uh, this is dispatch number 13. Lucky number that it is. And uh, this dispatch uh, kind of grew out of a simple conversation between our senior correspondent, Molly Webster, and uh, reporter Laura ross tellum
4: how did you stumble into the world of the story? So, let's see.
5: So, <clears throat> I mean, actually, it's sort of funny. Like, I, I'm i just going to say, you know, all of this in case it's helpful. Yes, say not everything. Be. So, I actually had this, like, very kooky, like, fiction idea.
4: Normally, Laura's a reporter for public news service, but given how crazy everything's been, she was sort of wondering if she could come up with a cool fictional scenario to do a story about.
5: Yeah. And so so in any case, I was sort of like, OK, wouldn't it be like a Black Mirror episode if like there was like a rehab facility that only like super, super rich people went to and they would like get infected with COVID, but then they would get just like state-of-the-art treatment and, you know, have these parties and it would just be this like super, super monitored thing and they'd like have fun with people and it'd be like essentially going to a resort Yeah, you know you're gonna get COVID. It's
4: yeah, it's like a spa, like a COVID spa.
5: Right, right. That was kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh, that could actually be kind of cool.
4: And then she says the journalist side of her kind of kicked in, and she thought to herself, hmm, I wonder if the situation actually exists. So she hopped on Google, and then I started
5: seeing people are volunteering to get infected with COVID for the purposes of making. A vaccine trial faster.
4: Now, I should say, Laura and I had this conversation a few months ago, and since then, hundreds of thousands of people have died of coronavirus. The other thing that has happened in that time, though.
3: Pfizer executives are calling it one of the biggest medical breakthroughs in the past 100 years.
4: Basically, all of this vaccine news started to come out.
0: American pharmaceutical company Moderna says its vaccine candidate is nearly 95 percent effective. Breaking
4: news from AstraZeneca overnight. The pharmaceutical company says its vaccine may be 90 percent effective in late stage trials, making it the third drug maker. As most of you probably know, in the last few weeks, three different companies, Pfizer Moderna and AstraZeneca, all announced COVID vaccines. (laughs) Yeah, they tested those vaccines on hundreds of thousands of people Uh, in record time. It was blisteringly fast. Usually it takes years. And in this case, it took months. Mm. And one of the reasons it happened so fast is there are just so many people out there with COVID right now. Like Usually these trials take such a long time because you enroll tens of thousands of people and you give half of them the vaccine and half of them the placebo, and then you just wait for the subjects to become naturally infected. And because we've done such a bad job of controlling the virus, scientists just didn't have to wait very long. Hmm. And look, these three vaccines are amazing, Um, but it doesn't mean we're out of the woods just yet. If you actually just simply look at... The numbers. Pfizer says, I can do a billion, 1.2 billion doses by the end of 2021. Moderna says something pretty similar. AstraZeneca says 3 billion. You're like, oh, 5 billion vaccines. That's amazing. But you need two doses per person. So take that 5 billion and have that. So you're at, um, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, 2.5 billion. And then it's a little hard to say, like, how many people in the world will need to be vaccinated in order to provide some sort of like what everyone talks about as the herd immunity. Um, but if you think the world has 8 billion people, a number that has been thrown around is 70%. That's 5 billion people that would need to get vaccinated. And wow. what we just broke down was the three vaccines that exist get us to 2.5 billion by the end wow. of 2021. And so... Wow, so
1: there's a long way to go. There I never is. I thought of it in those numerical terms. It's, wow.
4: it's long. And it, I talked to one expert and he was saying five to seven vaccines sounds like the better number. And because of that, you, you need to have more vaccines in development and you need to keep that development moving fast. So one of the techniques researchers are using to speed up that process is this thing that Laura came across when she was Googling. It's a trial where people intentionally get infected with COVID.
5: Exactly right. It's called a human challenge trial. Basically, the point of it is instead of doing these field trials, which can be very expensive, it can take a while to recruit people, you know, you have to be following thousands of people. So instead of doing that, you can instead recruit, let's say, around 100 people. What? Yeah. That's so small. Yeah, it's it's it was surprisingly low. It was surprisingly low. Okay. Half the people get the vaccine candidate. Half the people get the placebo. Then... You infect all of them and, you know, you wait to see if the vaccine candidate works or not. And the challenge trial would typically take about a month because you're intentionally infecting people who you know you're not going to give a vaccine candidate to in this in this scenario.
4: But uh, but how do they know that they can keep subjects in this study safe? I mean, because what we do know about COVID is that some people get it, no symptoms, and then some people get it and they die within a few weeks.
5: Yeah. So this is actually pretty well outlined by the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. They wrote a report about whether it was ethical to do this in the absence of a rescue treatment for COVID-19.
4: That is exactly what I'm saying, is, is it's not like you have a good treatment if you're sick. We still don't know how to treat it. We don't even know why some people are fine and some people, you know, end up not being able to breathe. Exactly. Right.
5: Some thought it was still worth it because it had enough societal good to, you know, speed up a vaccine process that could potentially save thousands of lives if a vaccine became available sooner.
4: And the other part of the ethical debate around these types of trials, Laura says, is their history, which isn't good.
5: In the 40s, the University of Chicago in Illinois and the U.S. Army collaborated on challenge experiments. They were actually testing malaria drugs. in, And this is a whole other kind of messed up part of human challenge trial history in prisoners. Uh, And so this is (laughs) really messed up. So, Nazi doctors, they actually, like, included these malaria tests as, like, justification for their own medical experiments. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, this was, like, one of their defenses at Nuremberg in 47.
4: So, so, so people would say that the, um, the medical experiments that the Nazis did were, in a sense— or, or, or are the original challenge trials?
5: Actually not. They're not the original one. Um, the original one, and this is a whole other wormhole that's quite fascinating, is that um, the first vaccine, smallpox, uh, that was developed by this man named Edward Jenner.
6: Okay.
5: This was in 1796. Okay. Okay. And guess how he first came to the smallpox vaccine?
4: I, I always feel like there's, like, testing on children that are involved or something. You are very close. Okay. So he purposely
5: infected his gardener's eight-year-old son. Oh, did it work? Yeah, so it worked. That's the thing. I mean, that was the first step to getting the small box vaccine. Wow. So human challenge trials are really kind of at the heart of vaccine history. But I thought the whole point of challenge trials was volunteering. Okay, so that's the thing is they've now developed into becoming much more informed and they have to, you know, volunteer to be in the studies. Because of the risk that you're asking people to go through, they are much, much, much more monitored than a typical phase three trial. So they're not going to go about their normal lives. They're going to live in some quarantined facility. They're going to get state-of-the-art medical
4: treatment treatment. It's like the virus needs to coronavirus. Yeah. Um, it's like real world coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. So they
5: <laughs> But they can't talk to each other. I mean they're isolated. They're like in their room,
4: you know, not able to like, oh, interact with like even though they've all been sick, they're not allowed to just hang out. They've all been like no. made oh
5: what? I have
4: a feeling no,
5: because also if you think about a controlled setting. That could really complicate things, because, like, what if people get sicker if they're interacting with each other more, right? Do you think you'd do it? No. No. I mean, let's put it this way. At this exact moment in time, definitely not, because I have a one-year-old son. It's just like, yeah, that's Mm. not going to (sighs) happen. I'm trying to imagine anyone that would do this. Well, look, I ended up covering this nonprofit called One Day Sooner. And this is pretty interesting. So one day sooner, um, basically, you know, they created this website and created this call for people who wanted to volunteer for such a thing. And people quickly signed up. Oh, so this became live. I believe this was in April. Yeah, April May. And now over thirty thousand people have signed
4: up. Holy wow!
1: Damn. Yeah. 30,000 people have said, I will I will knowingly risk my life to help vaccine research. Right. Wow.
4: And not only that, after we talked to Laura, um, the United Kingdom came out and said that they wanted to start a challenge trial with covid with humans in January of 2021. So just, you know, but weeks away. And it just made me think about those volunteers. Like, we are all working very hard to avoid coronavirus and not get it. And they're like, okay, how can I put myself in front of this moving train? At least that's, yeah. what, it's, that's what it sounds like to me. That's, um, uh,
1: who would do that? Why?
4: I can tell you who would do it. And I can tell you why just after the break.
1: Okay. This is Radio Lab. We'll continue in a moment.
2: Hi, this is Dustin Roudzong from Troy, Alabama. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
1: Science Reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science.
0: Radio Lab is supported by Babel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations. Café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just 3 weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited-time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com/radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com/radiolab, spelled b a b b e l dot com slash radiolab rules and restrictions may apply Radiolab is supported by zbiotics if you've been looking for some help waking up refreshed after a fun night out zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is here to help zbiotics is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking this probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow as it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com/radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com/radiolab and use the code radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended.
7: No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions.
0: How to read a politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All
1: right, ready? Three, two, one, Jad. Molly. (laughs) Radio Lab. So before the break, we heard about this peculiar kind of vaccine trial, which involves people volunteering to deliberately be infected with COVID, which sounds insane to me, although very noble. But Molly, you say there are thousands (laughs) and thousands of people who have volunteered to do this?
4: Yeah, there's a list out there that has, I think at this point, over 37, 38,000 people on it who have said... Jab me with COVID. I'll take it. Um, And we thought, okay, we have to go out and see who these people are. Like, who is this angelic? Who is this good? And they had a lot of different reasons for signing up, not all of which felt exactly like the kind of altruism I expected to find.
1: Yeah. Well, who were they?
4: Okay. So the first one was Estefania. Yes. I am
6: Estefania Hidalgo. I am a photography student I live in Bristol, and I am from Caracas, Venezuela.
4: Um, and so, so at what point did you bump into the notion of a challenge trial?
6: Well, I do night shifts at a petrol station. I've been there uh, three nights a week for the past two years now. I'm a student, and I, I did this like... Brilliant plan in my
4: mind where I was
6: gonna <laughs> gonna go work at night and then study during the daytime and I didn't factor in sleeping time.
4: What what is that like? Like, what are the the ebbs and flow at the petrol station during COVID? Like, were there moments when it just was dead quiet with no one, or does a petrol station always stay busy?
6: It was kind of like this dystopian reality going out while everyone was just staying in. Everything was deserted. I I have to travel by bus, and it's like a 40-minute bus drive. It was just me and the driver.
4: (laughs) And she told me those nights at the petrol station were like living on a planet of one. She'd be out there for hours, just her, nobody else, And so she would listen to podcasts to pass the time. Yeah,
6: so I actually learned about the campaign through a podcast. So I heard about One Day Sooner, and I went on the website while I was listening to the podcast. And um, you can see the messages from people that have already signed in, their reasons to do it.
4: Do you remember any of the things that you read that night?
6: I mean, I can't remember specifically, but I remember being from all parts of the world. People from Rwanda, people from Brazil, people from Russia. Uh, there were scientists, nurses, doctors I think I read. And it makes you, it makes you really, I, I think I, I was reading it and my hands were shaking. it was, it was something about, I'm, I'm with them. I felt that I was with them.
4: Yeah, it just feels like, oh, my God, there was a quiet movement growing in the background, and I had no idea. And I was just working at this petrol station, and, like, yes, all is exactly. lost in the middle exactly. of COVID.
6: <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Like, so this this has been happening, so I can actually do something, and I don't have to feel like shit here all alone in this dark night. <laughs> and I put my name for it.
4: That was her first thought. Simply, I'm not alone. And then she had a second thought, which is that as a brown person, she had to enter. Medicine
6: is biased when it comes to dealing with racial minorities. But I also want to have a voice in the table. I want to be someone who advocates for people like us. It felt good. I mean, scary, but in a good way.
4: It felt hopeful.
1: Wow, that's cool. Next up. Yes.
4: Hi, hi, hi. This is Molly Webster at Radio Lab. How are
7: you? I'm surviving.
4: Antonio.
7: My name's Antonio Cisnetos. I live in Los Angeles and I'm a filmmaker.
5: Can I jump into how you found out first about One Day Sooner and about Challenge Trials?
7: It's actually kind of silly. I actually saw um, a piece on the PBS NewsHour about it, maybe back in April. And I immediately looked it up, and within five minutes I signed up. Why? Honestly, because it made sense.
5: Wow, that's very fast. That's a very fast decision.
7: I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you know I really thought it would have happened sooner. Challenge trials, you know it, it it makes sense to me. I mean, there's there's well,
4: I think I just wonder. Probably more than thirty seven thousand people watch that PBS News Hour. So what I'm really trying to understand is like, what is in you, Antonio? that got you to the to the sign up
7: man this is a real therapy session here (laughs) (laughs) i mean what is in me i mean i don't have a family i'm single i don't have a lot to lose if something was bad to happen but at the same time maybe it's more just like oh i don't want my parents to get it and then die (laughs) um but um i mean i think i think you know Growing up in uh, a few decades ago, there was a lot more sense of, of of a communal sense of America and being American. And I think it's one thing that I wish we could still hold on to in this point in time. Hmm. Um, I mean, there should be thinking that, you know, 200,000 people have died since since unnecessarily since, what, February? Or March. I mean, I mean, like, what the? It doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't want the numbers to get any bit bigger. Like, there should be a sense of duty that if if we can do something, we should do it.
4: Volunteer number three.
3: Hello, my name is David Wildman. David. I am a Homo sapiens, male, aged thirty-one years.
4: For David, his motivation didn't have to do with you know community or family or a sense of duty. It was more so about getting unstuck.
3: You know, we're we're basically in this helpless situation. We're all being told to stay at home and we, we are powerless. This is one thing that you can do that will, you know, be a part of the kind of core solution, which is the, va- the vaccine.
4: I, I just don't think a lot of people are thinking about how they can help others. And so I'm just wondering where you think that got built into you.
3: I, I was very zealously religious when I was growing up, um, brought up in a, in a Christian home, but sort of attended an evangelical church when I was a teenager. Um, I think from a very young age, I had this idea that life was about being like Jesus and being good to people. Um, and when you've grown up with an a, a sort of cosmology, a complete and consistent cosmology that explains the universe and your part in it to basically not, not overnight, but over, over a relatively short period of time, realize that it's all garbage. It uh, leaves, leaves you kind of floundering and thinking, well, fuck, I need, I need to, uh, replace it with with something else. Like I need, I need some sense of purpose. That I'm, I'm restless unless I know I'm doing something that's kind of, um, making the world a better place, not a worse place.
1: Um, huh. So he's saying that, uh, Signing up for a challenge trial is sort of like making up for the faith in God that he lost at some point.
4: Yeah, I think something like that. And I would also say he said if he was being totally honest, signing up also had a little to do with boredom.
3: Like I did. I retrained as a software developer in this chair that I'm sitting in. I I searched for a new job (laughs) in this chair. I started a new job in this chair. And now I'm talking about it in the same chair. And it's like, I could really use a change of scenery. Actually going to a biocontainment center for a bit would would be quite exciting, quite nice. Volunteer number four.
4: Hello? Hi, is this LaHua?
7: It is. Hi.
4: LaHua, who had a little bit more of an analytical, utilitarian sort of approach.
7: I could get
5: COVID at any second, but it, it wouldn't be doing anything. You know, like, it wouldn't be productive. Like, I would be just as sick, just as miserable, have just as much of a chance of all these big long-term health effects that we're still discovering, and it would not have done anything, you know? Like, this is an opportunity to catch it, but for the purposes of helping thousands of other people not catch it. If she got COVID in the wild... It sort of wouldn't be for anything. You know, at least if she's in a trial, scientists can learn from it. Right.
1: Interesting. She's like, if I'm going to get sick with this damn novel virus, I might as well do it in a way that's productive. Mm -hmm.
4: Exactly. And our fifth and for now last volunteer. Oh, Molly. Hello. Finally. Bill.
2: Uh, I'm Bill Phillips. I'm an experimental physicist, and uh,
4: you happen to be a Nobel Prize-winning scientist. yeah,
2: so so being look, look, having a Nobel Prize in Physics does not qualify me to make pronouncements about any of these things any more than any other person who's a scientist and loves to have good data. if a trial has some probability of losing a few people. But you save more lives than you lose, as long as everybody is clear on informed consent. It seems to me the perfectly reasonable moral position. Hmm. And uh, so I signed up for a challenge trial. And after people started to question me, why are you doing this, Bill? Are you crazy? Um, Uh, Is that what happened? Well, yeah, I got a number of people asking me that because of my age.
4: Wait, how old are you?
2: So I'm almost 72. Uh, so I did a little bit of research to try to determine what were the chances that I would die, given my age, uh, if I c- got the coronavirus. And it turned out that it wasn't that that different from the probability that I'll die within the next year, anyway.
4: Well, tell, can uh, you do you remember the numbers? Like well, what the numbers are in yeah. the order
2: of a couple percent. In other words, at my age, uh, the chances of me dying in the next year are a couple percent. And that's very similar to the chances of dying if I actually catch COVID.
4: Like he's just saying, if I'm not scared to live another year, why would I be scared of getting COVID? Like mathematically, the odds are the same.
1: Huh. So after talking with all of these people, I'm curious, what are you left with um, in terms of because, you know, our, our simple question going in, if I if I remember, was just like, what? I don't even know what the question was. It was like, just like, who are why, these people? What who, drives? Why would you yeah, be motivated
4: why? to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Who is this altruistic? <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Do you? What? What? What do you see as an as answers to that? Or is there anything?
4: I would say that for me, altruism feels kind of like a catch-all phrase that like hides what people are actually like on about, like what they're really going for, like this thing that we call altruism. It could, interestingly, be paired with, like, a selfishness or a self-interest of, like, you just want your life back. Yeah. Or it could be because you're looking out for a family member, you know, your dad, your grandmother. It could be want of representation or there's a feeling of duty or country or community. It could be just math. None of these things necessarily feel like altruism. But I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe they're the truer form of the word.
1: Hmm hmm.
4: Special thanks for this episode goes to AB Rorig, Andrew Catchpole, and our volunteers, including Mary, Gabrielle, Paul, Gregory, Danica, Jennifer, and Debo. Thank you, Molly. Sure.
1: Senior correspondent Molly Webster. Thanks also to uh, reporter Laura Rossbrow Tellum.
5: This is Zoe Buonaiuto calling from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bresler, Rachel Cusick, David Gable, Matt Keelty, Tobin Lowe, Annie McEwen, Sarah Kari, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Shima
4: oli Sarah Sandbach, and Johnny Mohns.